Father, I just thank you so much just for the privilege of knowing you, being able to come before you with full assurance, security in Christ. I pray, God, that you would be with us in our, our time of, of fellowship this morning. Pray that your spirit would speak, God, and I would hide behind the cross. Pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what your word says. And God, I add, ask that you would add joy in the midst of tough times. God, I ask that you would add comfort in times of anxiety. Just pray that your spirit, God, would be with us and your presence would allow us to behold wondrous things from your law. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'll ask for you all to stand with me as we go to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Today we're going to be talking about prayer. And, you know, don't all cheer at once. But I think this is a very, very timely topic for us this morning. Matthew, the sixth chapter. And we'll read verses 5 through 14. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive their trespasses, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You may be seated. So once again, we're going to revisit prayer in a way that hopefully gives us an opportunity to evaluate the time that we spend in communion with the Lord. And... Um, if it's come to a place where, you know, we, we need to liven that activity once again or we need to spur ourselves along into how we pursue God in prayer, then hopefully this morning will give us an opportunity to do that. I want to kind of start giving an example. I, I grew up with the, a, a term, a, a phrase, an idiom, if you will, of of the prayer closet. They, there was always a reference to the prayer closet. 
I think the idea comes from this particular text. So it's an idea of physically shutting yourself off from the rest of the world to be with God. And this is not merely an exercise to manipulate the circumstances in order to get a desired result, which is closeness to God by hiding yourself in a closet. But it's more about taking care to prepare your immediate surroundings for a time with the Lord. So this, this idea of, of being alone is probably one of the, uh, the lost arts of our common society. Because we find ourselves constantly bombarded with voices and distractions and things that have our attention. So this idea of being alone is a really challenging concept for many of us. Let alone being alone with God. Just being present with God. Being present with the living God and communicating with him and and allowing the spirit to, to help you realize something of his presence while you are doing so. This idea that Jesus is is articulating here, it gives us a sense for a a reward or, or a gift or a privilege that we have when we stand before our Heavenly Father. Now, a lot of times when we talk about prayer, when people preach about prayer or, or give this challenge, issue a challenge to revisit prayer, it could be seen as this convicting, um, this, this convicting picture of our behavior and what we are not doing enough. And what I'd like us to do is hopefully take a different route. It's not necessarily look at our behavior not necessarily continue to, to focus on the areas that we have failed, but to, to actually look at our failures in line with an opportunity to take part in the most precious communion we could ever have. This is a privilege that many of us do not see the full scope of. This isn't just us for us to shrink back and say, I know I'm not doing enough. I know I'm not doing well in this. It's to look at the empty moments in our life and fill them with this living God that we say we love and have given our lives for. There's a simple old Puritan saying, I believe carries a profound truth. It says, pray until you have prayed. Pray until you have prayed. This saying denotes the possibility that in our praying, we may not actually be praying. For many of us, just considering that is discouraging. But let's look at this with some fresh eyes and ears. Because I'd like to contend this morning that there's a design of prayer that looks like a continuous voyage. From duty to desperation to delight. There's a richness in praying. It often eludes us. And there are reasons prayer doesn't pull well on the scale of Christian enjoyment. We don't, we don't look at prayer as, as a, a central focal point of, of the joys that we have in serving Christ. 
And I believe that, that we've, we've robbed ourselves of a, of a true sense of joy in, in enjoying time with the Lord. So praying until we pray doesn't necessarily mean that we are expending our own energies in order to reach some higher level of, of rapture with the Lord. But it's actually taking time to think through what it means to pray, what it means to sit before the Lord, what it means to clear our minds of other things, what it means to truly, truly seek to access him. Prayer is for us. Prayer is for us. And, I'm, and I realize it's risky to approach prayer with an emphasis that it is for us. In line with that, one of the consistent complaints I've heard over the years about prayer is that I didn't get anything out of it. We're often dissatisfied with an encouragement to pray when important decisions are in front of us. When we think of the ills of our world and the social distresses that are setting our country on fire, prayer is often treated as an inconsequential contribution to problem solving. There's the, this is happening in my life, dear brother or sister, conversation. And if the response is, yeah, I'm going to be praying for you. In some senses, in the ideal sense of Christian fellowship, that is an encouraging thing. But in some senses, you may walk away and say, well, I I really need you to do more than that. Or emotionally, that doesn't reach me where I would like to be reached. I I don't necessarily feel better because of that. Or say some tragedy has happened or something that is, is beyond our scope of immediate control has happened and, and the immediate result of a church or a community is to gather and have a prayer meeting. For many people, it's like, that's good, I'm glad you did that. Now what are you going to do? That's good, I'm glad you did that, but where's the action that takes place from that? And it's, it's almost as if we're on... A a human-driven schedule of what God does in this earth. The concept of prayer is not something that is presented as something that endures or something that, that lasts through seasons in a consistent, persistent way. It's looked at as something that that immediately provokes a desired result or it has no power. Many professing Christians in our country have developed a disturbing type of behavior that is a total contradiction to our identity in Christ. Panic. It's a sense of panic and fear. There's this heightened sense of fear and anxiety that it seems to permeate a lot of what we would call the Christian culture in America, especially in times like these. There are things happening that we feel like are beyond our scope of control. And, and rather than resting in the promises of God and rather than retreating to a place where we can understand better how God is sovereignly working through situations that see, seem horrible, our immediate response oftentimes is to be crippled by our fears. 
to panic and say, what will we do now? What will we do in this country that doesn't, does, uh, no longer seems to respect what we believe? What will we do because this headline is dominating our, the perception of the American Christian church? What will we do to fix our reputation? I'm reminded of an encouragement that Paul gives Timothy. Paul definitively tells Timothy that God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power, of love, self-control. And the King James Version says it's sound mind. We're not to be ruled by circumstances. We're not to be ruled by the news events. I can tell you definitively, in, in, in a lot of places that we look in this world, in the social conversation, the black community is scared. The, the police academy, the, the law enforcement community is scared. Those who engage in political conversations and investments, they're scared. Those who, who own businesses or who, who execute decisions on a level beyond many of us in this room, they're very scared. People who go to churches and see legislation turning their backs on what the Christian church thinks about moral decision in this country, they're scared. But that is not our identity. Our identity is total trust, total security in the perfect work of Christ. A coming kingdom that will be established whether or not man is ready for it. It is a God who sits the government on his shoulders and says that I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It is this God we worship. It is this God that we seek in, light, in times of trouble. For all the things that are going on in this country, trust me when I tell you, you can read in our history that the Christian church has been through worse than this. The Christian church in this world has encountered much worse than this, and we have endured. The people of God are protected by the eternal and awesome immortal God who sits in radiance and splendor. We're just fine when we find our hiding place in him. We don't need panic to become our slave master. And reasons for that can be due to the fact that our lives have become buried beneath our work schedules, family commitments, and even serving opportunities. But this idea of prayer being for us is something that we can retreat to. Prayer is most beautifully designed for us because we were designed for God. The best gifts that we are given always direct us back to our God. We are created to enjoy the fruits of communion with our Father, our Creator, our gracious Provider. He gives us this gift, and we should enjoy it often. So let's dive back into what we're seeing here in, in Matthew, what Jesus is teaching in verses 5 and 6, he mentions these vain public shows. 
You must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in synagogues and street corners so that they may be seen by others. It may be hard to translate some of that to to what we do now. I don't see a whole lot of Christians that are respected or seen as, as Christians to look up to standing on street corners praying. Today is a very hot day, and if you wore what the Pharisees wore back in that time on a street corner today, I don't know if I'll be looking up to you. I'm like, go ahead, brother. I'm going into this air conditioning. (laughs) But this idea of a, a pompous public presentation of what prayer looks like is is something that we may be able to translate to the the way that we interact on a Sunday morning. We come and we bring our best presentations of what the Christian looks like to a Sunday morning opportunity to fellowship. This is what we want you to think about how we love God. And what Jesus is saying is that when you pray, You go into your room, you shut the door, and you pray to your father in secret. So it's not just the public display of what you think people can can grade you on on your religious practice. There's actually a private investment into that which you display publicly. So that when people see the things that are good and are, are honorable that, that have happened in public, you know that they have been produced by this powerful time that you spent with your heavenly father who is shaping you and molding you and conforming you to the image of Christ. There's an idea of true devotion. Jesus again emphasizes that God is looking at our hearts. This sweet fellowship that we have makes an impactful change in our lives. Then we go on to verse 6, and it continues on into into verse 7. It says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So therein lies some of the problems that people have with prayer and in confessing and, and talking to God regularly because it's this idea that God already knows what's going on in my mind and my heart. What's the point of this exercise? It's hard for, for people to, to reconcile this as a fruitful activity when we're, we're taught about a sovereign God who is omniscient, who knows everything that goes on in the minds and the hearts of human beings. It's like, well, well then what's the point? And therein lies our human wisdom. Because we think that we've come to the conclusion that, okay, since God can then translate the, the, this mind-reading technique to us, there's no sense in us communicating to him. Or there's no sense of, of, us, of, of us trying to really have a connection with him because he's already taken that connection by understanding us intimately. Prayer is for us. Us communicating with God is something that blesses us because we are then lifting the things that are in our minds, in our hearts, the things that we cannot bear as human beings, and we are placing them in the hands of an eternal and all-wise God. This communication strategy is not something that human beings can outsmart. 
This is something that, that provides a moment for us to display the contrition that we have. This is, this is an opportunity for us to, to posture ourselves in a way that we know that we need something greater than us. This is a humility that we're cultivating to come before God, to say to him, I know you know what's in my heart, but I still want to talk to you about it. Prayer, in the midst of all the superficiality of the human experience, is the moment you can be more honest than you've ever been in your life. You can talk to a God who knows everything about you. I can shield you from everything about me. I can talk to you in the hall. I can give you a great smile. I can give you a hug. And I can go pick up my son and I can twirl around the parking lot and say, man, it's a great day out here. Get in my car, break down and cry. And you'd never know. Before God, I can do all those things. And he loved me just the same. Before God, you can do all those things and more. You can talk about the gut-wrenching things about your fallen nature. And the Father in heaven will point to Christ and say, that blood is enough. Keep talking. Keep on talking. The more you talk, the more you're purged. The more you talk, the more you're filled with joy. The more you talk, the more you realize that he is not just far off in a high and lofty place, but he is near to you because you've drawn near to him. This isn't a moment for you to be shallow and superficial. This is the moment for you to expose everything about you. And then it's a moment for you to look back at that cross and see propitiation for what it is. See your sin purged. See your father in heaven who knows you and knows all the hairs on your head. And holds you close. Lofty prayers are for lonely people. You don't say something high and lift it up and think you're talking to God. You're talking to yourself. God is the only one who can sit back in eternity and sit on the circle of the earth and look at the inhabitants like grasshoppers and look back at you and say, oh, you think that's impressive? You're not talking to me because I know who you are. So anytime you see somebody saying something impressive, if they don't mean it, you should probably feel a little sorry for them. That took a lot of work to come up with that lofty prayer. I hope you're talking to somebody. Because as impressed as I am, I know that I can stutter out a prayer that reaches the God that loves me. And it'll be just the same as what you did. So congratulations. So here we keep going. We see Jesus not see this. This is interesting. What, what has happened with the Lord's prayer is it, it, take the Lord's prayer, the content of the Lord's prayer and, and turn it into a prescriptive method of praying, not just in, in analyzing what the content is, but in actually just repeating the words. So so prayer is just seen as as a as a repeating of a phrase in order to get the intended result. But what Jesus is laying before us is a framework for approaching God in prayer. I believe in our prayer lives, we see a reflection of what we truly believe about God's lordship, God's sovereignty, and God's love. 
And in his lordship, we find our posture before God. Jesus comes to the Father, our Father, who is in heaven. Hallowed, holy is your name. You come before God, hallowed, holy, high and lifted up. Lord of lords, king of kings, you come before God like that. That's posture. That's the first place you can start. You come before God like that, and you immediately got his attention. That's who he is. That's what we study. That's what we've ingested in our, in our Bible teachings. Our entitlements and our tantrums fall flat before the Lord of heaven and earth. What is man that he's mindful of us? We must pray with the humility that befits approaching the king of kings. In our, in our understanding of his sovereignty, we find our trust in God. So we establish his lordship. We come to him understanding that he is sovereign. That his providential scope on reality is beyond what we could ever understand. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. He is shaping time before our very eyes. Finding an assurance in his sovereignty should be a source of peace in uncertain times. We've been studying through Joseph, and I don't know if it's explicitly communicated that Joseph was a, a man of, of prayer per se, or we, we have some documented lofty and, and impressive prayer that Joseph has prayed, but he has endured a long span of uncertain things. So I think it's safe to assume that he communed with God on some level at some point, regularly finding himself unjustly accused, finding himself in prison, finding himself completely mistreated by his brothers, yet having a a sense of trust in what God was bringing about in the entire providential plan. How much more should we? It's not like sovereignty is this this lazy excuse for us to just abandon our emotions and the grief that we actually feel when things happen. But it's an opportunity for us to retreat back to that place where we know God knows our thoughts and our hearts. And we find our assurance and our comfort in him because we need it from him. We don't have it to produce. Our grief is real. Our sorrow is real. Our fear is real. And we need God to comfort us amidst all of it. Often a solid theology around sovereignty is accompanied by anxiousness and fear. There's this caveat phrase, I know God is sovereign, but dot, dot, dot. That we carefully, we, we, we casually just spit out. I know he's sovereign, as if sovereignty isn't weighty. I know he's sovereign. Analyze that phrase. If you say that, then you must retreat to Scripture. What does it mean to have eternity in view? And if we in our frail states find ourselves there again and again, and God is not bringing it to our minds, then we always can pray what Scripture says about God's control. Go to Scripture. Pray 
in what the context says to God. The Holy Spirit confirms it, and you are in communion with him by what his word says. Finally, lordship, sovereignty. In his love, we find our intimacy with God. This is one that people might find uncomfortable at times. But it's important that we're close to God, relationally. We become closer with God when we understand his care and provision for us are everlasting. We're just talking about drawing near to God. He'll draw near to you. His compassions do not fail. They're new every morning. We got to pray that the Spirit helps us grow in our affection for God. In our affection for God. Oh, how we love this Jesus who has done so much for us. This God that gives us breath to breathe in and provision to enjoy. This God who gives us peace. This God who, knowing that we would sin and turn away and fall, continually offers us a way to to find comfort and solace in him. This love is powerful and this love is inexhaustible. Therefore, we come confidently to the throne of grace because he understands. He knows what we are actually going through. Such a sweet privilege to commune with our God. Jesus gives us this outline. He helps us see that there is lordship, there is sovereignty, that there is love here. It's not a small thing for, for us to ask for our daily bread. It's not a small thing for, to ask him to forgive us. It's not a small thing. If we're, if we're serving a high and holy God who is perfect and unreachable, to ask him to forgive us is something unreasonable for him to do. But through Christ, he's made it possible. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. He's walking with us ever near. So finally, I, I want to leave us with a couple of reflections We see examples in Scripture about how the fruitfulness of of prayer and the consistency of prayer is vital to the church. Jesus exhorts in Luke 18, 1 through 8, about the fact that we should not faint. We should always come to the Lord. We have to continue to come to the Lord. We must beckon to the Lord. The parable of, of this woman before the judge, and the judge just gets annoyed and grants the request. The judge who is not necessarily the just judge who is perfect and sees all things well. But if this judge can grant a request from somebody who is just getting on his nerves, how much more will a father hear and listen and answer according to his great love? for us, the people that he has shed blood for. 
There's persistence in prayer. There's enduring prayer. God doesn't think of repetition like we do. He doesn't get tired of hearing the same things over and over again. We do. We're tired of it. We're over it. We've said it before. We know our friends are tired of hearing it. We know our friends are tired of us continuing to whine and complain and do all these things. God is saying, come back to me. Keep coming. Keep finding solace here. This world will abandon you. This world will not endure with you. I will. My love, my mercy is ever lasting. My truth endures through all generations. My faithfulness is great. Come back to me. We see Hannah in in 1 Samuel where Hannah is praying with anxiety and vexation. She's she's leaning before the temple on her knees and she looks just crazy. She's weeping. She's bitter in her soul. She's hurt. She's afflicted. She's sitting there and so much so where the priest just says, you got to move. This This isn't right. You're drunk. Sometimes prayer gets ugly like that. If you're praying those pretty prayers, God bless you. Because life is not pretty. Hannah's weeping bitterly before the Lord. Coming to him with request, request, Lord, you see, you know, all these things. Next chapter we see. Hannah rejoicing in the truth that there is no rock like our God. No rock like our God. Same person weeping bitterly. Same person who is who's sitting and looking like she's in a place of sorrow she can't recover from. Next chapter over, she's singing a song of praise about the truth of her God. There's persistence and then there's praise. James 5, verse 16 talks about the, 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 uh, the effectual prayer, the powerful prayer. There's power in prayer. I know that's just kind of like those phrases that become church cliches. Therefore, it has contributed to our cynicism about prayer and cynicism about the, the church's activity in this day and time. But there is a true power in prayer. There is an understanding that God's sovereign hand is at work in the midst of insane circumstances. He will not be shaken. He will not be moved. And there is a power in that. There is a power in requesting for God to do something aligned with his will because he will accomplish it. And then we are part of those who praise him for doing that. We are seeing something that we cannot come to a conclusion of on our own. And when we pray in that way and we see God work, we are a part of those who are not necessarily surprised. Maybe in some of our our humans, we, we can't comprehend the fact that God actually did it. But we know in whom we have believed and we are excited about him bringing it to pass. So a form of of prayer. Is praise. When we see Psalm 107, and we see David said, let the redeemed of the Lord say that they are redeemed. When he says, oh, that men would praise him for his marvelous works and the children of men and women across this world. Look at his faithfulness. There's a lot of people in this room. I bet we've got so many testimonies of God's faithfulness. Sometimes our prayers are not just us begging to God for for him to do something for us. Sometimes it's just thank you. 
you have shown yourself to be strong. You've shown yourself to be mighty. You've shown yourself to be faithful and consistent. The word hallelujah, it's not a phrase that's confined to Sunday mornings. Do you think it's weird to say hallelujah in a public place or in a, even in your home? I encourage you to revisit that. <laughs> it's so interesting how, how, how many eggshells we set up for ourselves to walk on in the presence of this great and awesome king. We're joyous people. We have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Hallelujah should be in our vernacular. A version of hallelujah. Maybe you just think hallelujah is too weird. It's 2016. Praise God. In some way. Something is happening with your children. In some way. Something is happening, happening on your job. In some way. Something is happening where God deserves praise. Maybe somebody's calling to say something good. I'm trying to help us understand that there's a joy, there's a reality in, in coming before God that we don't always have to just come in repentance and confession, even though we should, but we also come before him thanking him and acknowledging him for what he has done, what he will do. Hastening for the fact that he's coming back. Even so, Lord, come. If the, if the worst response to all these tragedies is for you to say, even so, Lord, just come back. That's the best response. Communicates a longing for you to just be with him, for him to establish a perfect kingdom on earth where he shines alone. And we all look at that and we are changed by the very fact that our God is literally with us. That our soul leaps upon that promise, that our soul leaps upon that possibility. That we're not shaken by the, the things that happen every day. That I'm not personally, Taylor Gray, not walking around here angry and confused. And people are asking me, why not? You should be. You should be ruled by that. You should be responding because of that. Why? My citizenship is not here. I will occupy until I go home, but you best believe I'm not planting any roots here. I know where I'm going. I know where we're going. And what a day of rejoicing that'll be when we all see Jesus. Prayer is including that in Lord being with you is my sweet solace. So I'll leave you with a couple of challenges. Correlate your tough times and afflictions with your prayer life. Correlate your great times and smooth seasons with your prayer life. Pray for your spouses, those of you who are married. One of the sweetest things you can do in, re in relationship and community and marriage is pray for one another. 
We have a very close-knit relationship. Pray for one another. If you're not married and you just have friends and family, think of prayer outside of yourself and just pray for them. And then in the ways you engage them as time goes on begins to be changed in light of your prayers. Be active in this pursuit and watch God do some amazing things. I'll leave you guys with this simple hymn that everybody's tired of. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm going to read verse 2. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble everywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you because you are good. You alone are good. All the time you are good. I pray that you'd help us to see the sweet opportunity that we have to commune with you. Our first instinct isn't just to look at our schedule and say, where can we do this? But our first instinct is just to talk to you and God say, help help me. Help me find what I can't see. That we don't just run to our failures, God, but we just run straight to you. Knowing that you know everything about us, everything about our lives. Help us to constantly reflect on the gospel. Help us to bury ourselves in the treasure of your word. And the things that your spirit helps us to keep and to lay hold of, help us to take those things to you in prayer. If we understand something in scripture, help us to thank you for it. If we've fallen short, help us be quick to confess it. If we have been a poor witness to the rest of this world, God, help us to ask you for power. We know, God, that you hold all things in your hand. We ask you, God, just to be with us, God, as we draw near to you, draw near to us, our precious King. In Jesus' name, amen.